0: Well, good morning. morning. Oh, no. All right, well, we'll let that install. We'll wing it for a minute here. It is week four of the Money Series. We have survived. We made it through. Anybody else feel like can take a deep breath? All right, so so yeah, so in this week, I hope that as we've walked through this topic of money i know it's an emotional topic i know it messes with us and it pulls at each one of us and it makes us a little uncomfortable but i hope as we've walked through this series you have seen clearly through the pages of scripture that god's desire for us is to live free to not live burdened by money to not live strapped down but to experience freedom in our financial dealings and in the things that are going on. I pray that that has changed the way you and your family look at money and that it's been an encouragement to you. And now my iPad is updated and it's great. I wonder sometimes though if our nervousness about money doesn't come because we don't have a good understanding of why. It's there, and, or if it's not the understanding, we don't trust, right? We don't, we don't trust other people with money, right? We're like, well, if you want to talk to me about money, it's probably because you want my money and I'm not sure I trust you with it. Maybe on a spiritual level, we don't like to talk about money in church because we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to trust God with my money. I've got my plan and God, I'm not sure your plan and my plan are, are really tied together that well. And maybe if we get really honest with ourselves, we don't even trust ourselves with money. We know we haven't been good with it. We know we haven't been great at managing what God's given us. And so talking about it just brings more guilt or more stress. But when that burden is removed, when we can begin to see that money is a gift that God's given us, a tool that God's given us, I believe we're going to be much more likely to live lives of generosity, understanding that this tool is not just for me, but it's for me to give to others who have need around me. So as we start this morning, have you ever been the recipient of someone's generosity. Had someone just give you something that maybe you needed, they had no clue what they were doing. So I've been pretty open. I was worked at Starbucks for a while and I will tell you Starbucks paychecks and church paychecks are not the same. And so uh, I had worked my way up from barista to team lead to assistant store manager and Josiah was born. And it was gonna be great and we were so excited. And the day after Josiah was born, my district manager called me in and said, "Hey." We have a store for you. So I was going to be a store manager, new kid, pay raise, life's going to be good. We sit down and we put together the budget, trying to figure out childcare and all the added expenses that were going to come. And Corey was going back to school. And I was like, okay, hey, I think I have the budget done. Take a look at it, Corey. Tell me what you think. And so she began looking down through the budget and she's like, looks great. You forgot childcare. And I was like, Uh, But the bottom line says zero. And she's like, yeah, it needs to say 800. We need 800 more dollars a month for childcare." And I remember going back through and figuring out, okay, well, I guess we don't have to have this line. And we don't have to have this line. And trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we hadn't said anything to anybody. And someone kind of said, hey, listen. I know new kids can be a struggle. I know money's tight. We're going to take care of your child care for the foreseeable future. And I was like, excuse me? That is an incredibly honoring and yet very humbling position to be in. When someone just walks up and says, hey, we want to do this. It's incredibly rewarding. But I'll tell you, that conversation has changed my view of money and may have been one of the impetuses that really pushed Corey and I to begin working for the last 14 years to get to a place where we could pay it back, where we could have opportunity to be generous and to do what had been done for us in such a tangible way for somebody else. But it's because God has been and continues to teach us that generosity is at the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is generosity. And as we unpack that statement this morning, if you've got your Bibles or you're following along on Version, I want to welcome or invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians. We'll be mostly in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians today. But if you don't know anything about the Bible or Corinthians, Paul started the church in Corinth. Corinth was a town that he started. You can see the story of how that church started in Acts chapter 18. But Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth has been A little tense, to say the least. They got some stuff going on. Paul writes this letter. They don't respond real well to Paul's letter, so they write a letter back saying, hey, who do you think you are? Paul writes a second letter that he says he wrote in anguish. And then Paul goes to visit them. And in that visit, they kind of begin this reconciliation process. And it's out of that that Paul writes the book of 2 Corinthians. We call it second. We don't have the actual second letter he wrote, but it's the third letter he wrote to this church. And it's throughout this second letter that he is encouraging them to allow the gospel to transform their entire lives and to transform the way they see the world. And we come to Acts chapter, or Acts, to 2 Corinthians, chapter eight and nine. And Paul is saying, when you allow the gospel to transform the way you see the world, you allow it to transform the way you view money as well. And so what's happening in the world at this time is there's a famine in Jerusalem. And all of the Christians who are living in Jerusalem are struggling in poverty because there's no food. Well, if you know much about the church or the church history, All of these churches Paul has started have come from Jerusalem. So it'd be like a church in our area saying, hey, we're going to plant some churches all throughout central Illinois. And then that church falling into financial crisis. And so all of the churches that have been planted in response take an offering to send back to that church to help it out. That's what Paul's doing. He said, hey, the church that started you is struggling. They need your help. And so he's encouraging the Corinthians to give to that and to see money as one more thing God needs to transform. And he says to them that the way they view this is actually going to change the way they view the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Paul's saying here that to the Corinthians that Jesus' life and ministry are an example of generosity and that because we've received that grace, it should lead us to be more generous people. Randy Alcorn's a Christian author. He says this, God's grace is the lightning, our giving is the thunder. Just like thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. It's possible to give without a deep understanding of God's grace. It's impossible to have a deep understanding of God's grace and not give. Don't miss that. It's impossible to have a deep understanding of grace and not give. Paul's words here to the church at Corinth and for us remind us that God's generously provided for us in ways we never could have imagined or thought possible, and that our generosity is an act of love back to God and to our neighbor. Generosity is at the heart of the gospel. I want to dig into this text in 2 Corinthians 9.16 where I think Paul unpacks a little bit more of how we live that out and why that's true. He says this in nine six. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. See, if you want an out today, there it is. No pressure. This is not a pressure-filled situation. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then provide a great harvest of generosity in you yes you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous and when you take your gifts to those who need them they will thank God so two things will result from your ministry of giving the need of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. I think in these verses, Paul unpacks three principles that reveal generosity at the center of the gospel. The first one is, God is the one who provides. Now, before we move on too far, we have to make sure we have a solid understanding of whose resources we're being generous with. And if I'm honest, I think the church has maybe done a disservice To a lot of us as we walk through this principle. What I mean by that is we have clung for a long time in the church to the Old Testament idea of a tithe, right? So if you're not familiar with that, in Leviticus chapter 27, God establishes all these laws that the Israelites are supposed to live by. One of those is a tithe. A tithe simply means that the first 10% of the crops that you harvest the first 10% of your livestock, the best 10% of your land, that gets given to the temple. That land is used, the, the land is used for the priests. When Israel entered the promised land, the priests weren't given any place to live, so they lived on the tithe land. And then the animals and the, the food is used in the Old Testament sacrifice, the temple sacrificial system. And whatever's left over, that's what the priests get to eat. Right? So it's a little bit like their wages. However, Jesus says in Matthew that he came to fulfill the Old Testament law. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he fulfilled it by obeying it perfectly. But he also fulfilled it by showing us what the heart of the law really was. And the heart of this law is that God would provide for the needs. God was making provision for the needs of all people everywhere through his people. He actually says that to Abraham in Genesis 12. I'm going to bless you so you can bless other people. That's the goal. God's heart is that we are generous. And so we've taken that and said, okay, as followers of Jesus, we need to give 10% of our money to the church, right? That's the way we've kind of processed through that. But what about the other 90%? Now, I know in a room this big, everybody's a little uncomfortable. They're like, this was the sermon we were waiting on when he was going to tell us we got to give him our money, right? I know what you're thinking. This is just the guy, the ball guy up front trying to get our money, I know some of you are like, he's crazy if he thinks I'm going to give 10% of my income to this place. Especially if you just walked in here for the first time today. That is not what I'm trying to say. What I want you to understand is that our resources come from God. They're all his. And how we manage 100% of our money is a reflection of whether or not we trust his provision. Do we believe God will provide? I think that's what this principle is trying to get at. It's not about 10% or 90%. But Paul says, God's the one providing it all. He provides the seed. He provides the bread the seed is made out of. And he invites us along in the journey. Let me take you to John chapter 21 to illustrate this point. If you're not familiar with the Bible, John chapter 21 is the last chapter of John. Jesus has died on the cross. He's rose again. He's getting ready to go back to heaven. And he finds his disciples out fishing, right? They're fishing, So they're doing what they always did. They haven't caught anything all night. Jesus stands on the shore. He yells out to the disciples and he says, hey, have you guys caught anything? Not one thing. Throw your nets on the other side. They drop their nets down and they pull them back up and they can't get the nets in the boat. God has provided And if you remember from week one of this series, God has not just provided like a skimpy amount, he's provided out of his abundance so much they can't even get the nets back in. And Peter's like, wait, we lived this story once before. That's Jesus. He jumps off the boat, swims to shore. The disciples row the boat in. When they get there though, this is the interesting part of the story that I have missed until this week. When they get there, there's a fire already started. And the text says, Jesus is already cooking fish. Jesus didn't need the disciples' fish. Jesus is the one who provided the catch. But Jesus says, I know you got that big catch over there. I've got my own fish. He's inviting us in. He doesn't need the resources he's given us. But by providing them, he's inviting us to trust him. He's inviting us on the journey. You see, I think way too often we see ourselves as the initiator of God's work. Because we gave, God can now work. God invites us to see ourselves as responders to his grace. So we've come back to this concept we discussed in week one. Do we believe that God is a God of abundance who can provide for all of our needs? Or are we camping out believing the oldest lie ever told, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, that God is a God of scarcity and that even in creation, the serpent looked at Eve and said, God didn't provide what you needed. What you need's on that tree when we realize and we begin to trust that God will provide and that everything that's been provided is not ours, but God's, we say, uh, we learn, as Chase said last week, to move from the owner's box to the manager's chair. And in the manager's chair, John says this in a very pointed verse in 1 John three seventeen: If someone has enough money to live well, And sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? Our generosity is a reflection of the gospel lived out in us. a Reflection of our relationship with Jesus. We're called to meet those in need. Some of you are like, this is really great. Sounds super pie in the sky. Really nice. But like, Jason, you don't get it right like I don't have what I'm we're barely scraping by I understand that trust me I've been there but I'll tell you this I moved a family of four four different states across the midwest in the last 20 years every one of those moves was full of anxiety of worry Of concern, of how we're gonna pay the bills. Corey quit a job and didn't have a job at any one of those places we moved to. But I can tell you, every one of those places worked out. God provided. We always had food on the table, we always had a place to live, we always had some mode of transportation. Some of those modes of transportation were nicer than others. Some of those places to live were probably more than we needed. God will provide. I believe that and I can stand up here and say that because I've lived that. God will provide. Generosity is at the heart of the gospel. To those around us, those who are watching our lives, See us trusting that God will provide? Principle number two, attitude matters. Your attitude in all of this matters. As you read 2 Corinthians and you read the Bible, it's full of verses that talk about cheerful giving. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13.3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. First Chronicles 29.9, the people rejoiced over the offering, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. Psalm 112.5, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. 2 Corinthians 8.12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. You can read more verses like that all throughout the pages of scripture, but what I want you to notice as you read those, never once is the amount of money talked about there's not an amount it's about your heart that's what matters in our giving actually maybe the greatest story of giving in all of the bible is the widow and her might where at the end in mark and luke jesus is sitting outside the temple and this widow walks up and she drops two coins in Those two coins total one-fourth, 25% of a U.S. penny. Jesus doesn't see the size of her gift. He sees her heart of trust and obedience in the gift that she gave. That's what he celebrates. As followers of Jesus on a journey of growth, Our giving is done as an act of gratitude for all that he has done for us. See, the Greek word that Paul uses here to describe this person in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 speaks to those who have devoted their life not to amassing wealth or possessions, but to eliminating needs. That's a different mindset. And Paul says, when you do this, if you live this way, the needs of the people around you will be met. But they will give praise back to God for you. They'll stop and thank God for the work that you're doing, for your generosity. And our journey with Jesus will grow deeper as we learn to trust a little more, as we learn to celebrate and be excited a little bit more. So I was in youth ministry for 19 years. That means I spent a lot of time sleeping on air mattresses on mission trips. It also meant I spent more time than I probably should have fundraising for those mission trips. Service projects, working for people in the church, they were donating to the kids, and I thought this was great. And all of a sudden, I had this guy in my church walk up to me, and it was on a Sunday morning, and he's like, Jason, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm a little tired today. He's like, early. what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, well, I worked eight hours yesterday helping somebody clean up leaves so the kids could go on this trip. And we were doing this and we did that Friday night. He's like, isn't that about four weekends in a row now? Yep, sure is. But we have raised all this money. All the kids are going on the trip. It's going to be great. He's like, you know, you could have just asked. I was like, what? He goes, I'd love to write a check. He said, I can't go on that trip. My body won't let me anymore. The idea of sleeping on an air mattress, he was like, yeah, no, hard pass. Or maybe riding in the bus with middle schoolers on the way there. I don't know which one it was, but it was one of the two. But he's like, I would love to be able to go on the trip with you by making sure kids could go. It was in that moment that I realized there are people in the church who are just looking for opportunities to be generous to bless somebody, to change their life in a little and small way. I think it's a fine line. I think we've got to walk that carefully. But I'm going to tell you, if you're in a position to be generous, do it. Because you don't know how you're going to change somebody's life. And again, I'll talk about my own personal story. I've had lots of buyer's remorse in my lifetime. Bought a new car, buyer's remorse. Bought new shoes, buyer's remorse. Upgraded a cell phone that still worked, buyer's remorse. Came back from a mission trip, never had buyer's remorse. Went to a night for a charitable organization that was helping the needy in my community, made a donation, never had buyer's remorse. Where's our heart in all of this? Your attitude matters. And the first principle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, but the last one we're going to look at today is it's your choice. And you might be thinking, is that true? Read 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. And then it's that little phrase at the end when he says, don't do it reluctantly or just because somebody pressured you into it, do it because you want to. So as we leave here, what I hope and pray is that each of us will sit down as our family and figure out how are we going to be generous? What does generosity look like for us? I'm not asking you to figure out what generosity looks like for me. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that just because I have the microphone, I get to decide what generosity looks like for you. Because that's not fair, and it makes everybody really upset. But I do want you to think about these things. Some practical steps as you think about what generosity will look like for you. But before we get there, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 is a very unique verse. And I want you to hear it because it's the one place that scripture says this. This is God speaking through a prophet to his people. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God literally says to his people, test me. Try me out. It's the only place in scripture God says, test me. Now, I want, you, I want to be clear. This is not a prosperity gospel. I don't think you're going to give money to God and God's going to make you filthy rich. Maybe he will. If he does, man, God bless you and just go be generous and have a lot of fun with that. That's not been my experience. But what I have learned is that as I test God with this, he does continue to meet my needs. He does continue to provide. I do grow in generosity. I do grow in love and compassion for other people. And God says, if you don't think that'll happen, just try it out. So here's my three practical steps. Set a goal. What's generosity going to look like for you? I do think, as much as I pick on the tithe earlier, I do think 10% is a good goal. Some of you are like, yeah, that's nice. I come here every week. i drive five bucks in the bucket on the way out because Dave put on a great show and I had to listen to you speak to get Dave's great show. So that was awesome, right? If that's you, no judgment. Thank you for your gift. But I want to challenge each and every one of us to be a little bit more intentional about it. What would it look like for us to actually say, hey, you know what? In in the tote, Totality of my income, I'm going to be generous with this percentage. And the truth is, there's probably some people in this room who 10% is way too small. Who if we really begin to look at it, God might actually be calling us to live on 50%. And before you think, I don't know who you're talking to. I've known people who have reversed this number who generously gave 90 and lived on 10. I don't say that because that's for all of us. I say that because I want you to think about it. What do you need to live on? What's your goal? And a percentage is good because as your income changes, it keeps that percentage going up too. So, I'd invite you create a budget. If you don't have one of those, there's a great class coming up February 28th called Money Life. It's going to be 10 weeks. Help you figure out how to create a budget so you can sign up for that now. Commercial over. But create your budget. Top line that budget. What's that percentage of generosity you're going to give? Once you've set that amount, then you have to decide who you're going to give it to. Who's going to get it? Is it going to be the church? Is it going to be Is it gonna go to helping the needs of the poor in our community? Is it gonna go to global missions? Now I'm gonna say something that's gonna make some people in the room really uncomfortable right now. I believe Great Oaks is fully transparent with our finances. You wanna know what they are? We'll show you. You give money to Great Oaks, we give 10% of what you give back out to our kingdom builders who do it, who are more equipped and better prepared to do the things we do. But if for some reason you're new here, you're like, I just came here from another church or I've heard this. God said, test me in your giving. Go give to another church. If for some reason you feel like, I can't, I don't know, there's something about Great Oaks I'm just still struggling with. Until you feel comfortable giving here, give it someplace else. I believe God will bless you and us in that process. But if you call Great Oaks home, if this has been the place where you worship, where you live, where you're fully invested, mission costs money. There's no other way to say it. The things we do, we've got electric bills to pay. We've got staff to pay. We've got resources to buy. It does cost money. If you want to know how we're spending that, you can ask. But I want to encourage you, figure out what percentage you're going to give here. And then how are you going to give it to other organizations that push the gospel forward, that share the gospel, and transform people's lives, that reach the widow and the orphan, and that care for those people? And then how are we going to give to those organizations that spread the gospel globally? You figure out how you're going to distribute that 10%, or that 2%, or that 5%, or that 55%. That's up to you. Third step: give. We've all created a plan, right? Anybody created an exercise plan and then not done it? <laughs> Anybody started a diet and then been like, tomorrow, 14 weeks in a row, tomorrow? Right? We can do the same thing with our money. We create the plan, oh, I'm going to give this percentage. Here's where I'm going to give it. And then the minute we do that, something breaks. And we're like, "Well, God, next paycheck. I want to invite you, give. Live generous. Trust that God, who's a God of abundance, will provide your needs and give. Generosity is at the heart of the gospel. To those who live and work around us, see the gospel in us by our generosity. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for all the ways you've provided. God, it's one thing to tell stories about your provision, but it's another to actually pause and let it take our breath away. God, thanks for watching over us. Thanks for getting us through the hard times. Thanks for being a God who doesn't panic about our money even when we do. Thanks for your provision here at Great Oaks. The ways you've watched over this church, provided for its needs. God in each one of our lives as we seek to grow to be more like your son I pray that you'd build a heart of generosity a heart that sees the needs around us and wants to do everything we can to help meet those needs God thanks for meeting the biggest need in our lives by sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins Thanks for the Holy Spirit who's transforming our lives, working every day to make us more like you. God, help us to be honest with each other as we ask ourselves what generosity looks like for each one of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.